1: And deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
2: You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network.
1: Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike
2: Heck. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of Between the Links here on MMAFighting.com. And for those of you who over the past few weeks stretch between December 19th up until this past Saturday on ABC that were missing and hankering for some mixed martial arts action for the UFC, hopefully this eight-day stretch makes it up to you because we get a fun card on Saturday. We got a fun card yesterday in Abu Dhabi, and then we get a, the big one coming up in a little over 48 hours from right now. UFC 257, the return of Conor McGregor. He takes on Dustin Poirier. So much to discuss on this special live edition of Between the Links where two journalists will enter the virtual BTL arena and one man will leave with the prestigious BTL title. I am excited, and we want you guys and gals involved in the program. So if you see a round going a certain way, let us know. If there's takes you agree or disagree with, let us know in the chat. But right now... Let us introduce the combatants who will be battling it out this week on the program. First, let us introduce the challenger, a man who released one of the most talked about stories in our sport in a long, long time. It's called The Cost of Being the King. The story of UFC veteran Spencer Fisher, an incredible piece of journalism. And he's also the man who is on the other side of the first callout on the show in 2021. Let us welcome back to the panel the deputy editor at MMAfighting.com. Mr. Steve Morocco, how are you, sir? Welcome back.
3: Thanks for having me back after my pitiful performance in the first showing.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't think it was that bad. You, you, you're a little too hard on yourself, Stephen. But now let us introduce yeah, the man behind. <laughs> hold on, oh, Jed. We, hold we, on, we Jed. I'm going
4: to tell you how bad it was.
2: It what? that bad. It was the knockout round. Okay. Sometimes it does that to people, man. That's what happens. But uh, as you can see right now, oh, there okay. we have the reigning. He lost AK. Listen, AK had a good stretch to start his career. There's one answer in the knockout round that buried him forever and probably will continue to as we move on. But there he is, the reigning defending, undisputed BTL champion, a man who makes us ask the question every week, how hot will his takes be from MMAfighting.com. Jed Mishu, how are you, sir? I'm doing
4: well, and I want to be super clear. I I didn't invite Steve to come get these hands because he did so well last time. He lost to AK Lee. This is going to be a walk in the park for me. But, you know, I'm trying to do like Conor McGregor showed us this morning. You know, I'm I'm trying to to turn a new leaf to be a, a more fellow and you know game respects game uh and and steven's article is the best piece of journalism our sport has arguably ever seen period and so i wanted to see him staring across the the digital arena from me
2: well there you have it and like i said there is a lot to discuss before we get into uh the action i do want to Let everybody know that this week's live episode of Between the Links is brought to you by ESPN Plus. As you surely know by now, especially if you're watching this show live, Conor McGregor is making his long-awaited return in a rematch against Dustin Poirier at UFC 257 this Saturday, January 23rd, in a little more than 48 hours from my voice speaking into this microphone, and you can watch it only on ESPN Plus. Now, if you're already a subscriber. UFC 257 is available for $69.99. Or if you have not subscribed yet, you can sign up right now to get UFC 257 and an ESPN Plus annual plan for $89.98 total. So if I'm doing the math correctly, you get the pay-per-view and a full year of ESPN Plus for an additional 19.99. So you're saving some bucks going that route. So visit ESPNPlus.com for for... Of course, we'll be talking about that event a little bit later on in the program, but I want to start this week with the man who stole the show on the UFC's debut on ABC this past Saturday, Max Holloway, went into his fight with Calvin Cater on a two-fight losing streak. Both losses were to the champion, Alexander Volkanovsky, the second fight in July, one of the more debated fights of 2020 when it comes to scoring, but be that as it may, Holloway takes a fight against a surging contender in Calvin Cater, a man who was probably the most improved fighter at 145 last year, probably the MVP of the division last year while we're at it. And man, did Max Holloway deliver a dominant performance, dominant decision over Cater, who was tough as hell throughout that fight. But Holloway broke every single striking statistic that you can think of in that victory. So Steven, you won the blind draw that we're going to begin with you. After the fight, John Anik went on Twitter and said, in essence, I've called a lot of big fights in my day But sitting octagon side, what I saw from Max Holloway was the best singular performance he had seen in his career sitting in that seat. So my question to you is, would you agree with him in that sentiment? And if not, would you consider it one of the all time great performances?
3: Well, you have to consider his perspective. If you're sitting cage side for something like that, it's going to stand out above and beyond a lot of different fights. I mean, just for the sheer violence of it, I can only imagine actually being next to that cage and listening to the impacts that you heard. um, That's got to be amazing and, to be honest, frightening. Um, And I think he actually acknowledged that at one point. But if it's me, you know, I'm just watching this from a a spectator's perspective. Um, It's great. Uh, I'll, I'll put the caveat out there that it's a, fantastic performance one of his best would it what i consider it as you know the best ever i don't know because calvin cater is a super talented fighter um, has had some really big wins but he's also proven to be beatable and you know the first couple of rounds of that fight max pretty much established the pattern that he just continued for the rest of the fight if i'm making the choice about all time great fights for him, um, it's Jose Aldo and it's, it's his two performances against Jose Aldo because in both of those, he completely beat the brakes off of one of the greatest featherweights, uh, if not the greatest featherweight of all time, if you look at the strength of schedule, how many people Jose has beaten his streak, you know, what he's done. Um, at that point that Max faced him, we had one knockout loss to, Connor, which was 13 seconds, obviously that took a lot of luster off of him. That was also peak Conor McGregor. But if I'm picking uh, Max's best performance, uh, it's it's definitely those two Aldo fights. I mean, if you've uh, if you watched his performance, um, Max's performance, it was like something you could see a guy that was learning. Uh, from his mistakes, especially the ones against Volkanovsky, the pair of Volkanovski fights where, you know, he's starting slow and he's building as he gets as he goes on. Uh, this time he's not taking that chance anymore. He's going right out of the gate. He's throwing high volume. He's establishing a pace that can't be matched and diminishing his opponent's spirit, as they say in judging, um, over a longer period of time. So um, I-, I thought it was a fantastic performance. The best
2: Maybe not, Jed Michu. Your thoughts on this? Where would you rate this performance? Is this an all-time great showing by Max Holloway, or you know, are we maybe overrating this a little bit?
4: I mean, I, I don't think it's an all-time great showing either in the context of like sh- fights just in general, and not even in the context of of Max Holloway. Uh, to, to admit it gate correct because I mean Holloway's two performances over Jose Aldo are clearly better performances here. I mean, they're different. They're very different. What's happened and kind of what they mean and and the stages of their career and all of that, all the context surrounding it's different, but, you know, beating somebody's ass uh, while impressive is maybe not great uh, depending on who you're doing it against. And I think Calvin Cater is a good fighter. Uh, I said it last week though, that I think Calvin Cater is, is a good fighter who, is not ever going to be like a great fighter he is a great action fighter and will hang around that kind of top 10 category forever and maybe if the cards really break right for him he might sneak his way into a title shot but he's probably always going to hit hit a ceiling somewhere and certainly with max holloway in the division he's he's found that ceiling at least so i you know i think just doing doing what he did to jose aldo is more impressive uh from max holloway's perspective you know, I'm I'm willing to say that this is one of the most impressive beatdowns we've ever seen. I, I mean, this is right up there with Cain Velasquez Jr. Santos. Like, but that that takes two to tango. You know, beatdowns. You don't just fall into an ass whooping. You got to be able to take an ass whooping for five rounds. And Calvin Cater, nothing but respect for that man, and nothing but absolute booze and treachery for his corner and even Herb Dean because. They let him take a lot of punishment that he didn't need to. And, you know, I mean, again, to, to shout out my boy Steve Morocco over there, we, there was a story last week about the, the dangers and pitfalls of taking that kind of sustained beating and the neurological effects of it. And we just, you know, everyone wants to praise Calvin Cater and we should because of his toughness, but we equally need to be condemning his corner for allowing him to take that.
2: Yeah, Steven, I want to get your take on that because, you know, like Jed said, you wrote this amazing piece about Spencer Fisher and it's a piece that a lot of media members have referenced when they stated that this fight this past Saturday should have been stopped third, definitely the fourth. Some even argued before the fifth round because most people thought there's just no way Calvin Cater was going to win this fight. Like he was so far gone that he probably would get to the final horn. But what's the point of taking all that extra damage? What do you think? Like what was going through your minds the longer this fight went on?
3: Well, first of all, I didn't see the fight live. I was actually on vacation when I when it happened, so I saw a replay of it. So I don't think I was involved in this sort of collective, uh, I won't say hysteria, but there, there, there's a tendency when we all watch fights on Twitter that we all sort of, you know, momentum builds for a certain perspective and a certain opinion. And a lot of times things start to become sort of an echo chamber. Um, that being said, obviously it was a brutal, brutal fight. He took a lot of unnecessary punishment. But look... You know what's the point? That's not a fighter's perspective. That's if 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 he had if he or his corner person had that perspective, they wouldn't be fighters. I disagree with it personally. I am the one who says what's the point. I am concerned about their 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 long term well being, but I'm not a fighter. Um, the thing is, we need the referees to do their job, the officials to do their job, and then if we're thinking way way further down the line, we need to set aside help and resources for fighters based on their natural inclinations and natural instincts because there's going to be fighter i mean no fighter that wants to be a champion and is going to you know basically fight until he dies is going to try and give up in the ring they're not going to they're not going to say you know i'm just going to call it um you know throw in the towel i don't want to i don't want to come back out again the reason these guys are there in the first place is because they believe in that they all believe that they're the best in the world and we need to take precautions as a result of that perspective. Um, so I'm, I'm less inclined uh, to, to go after. I, I thought I also just thought purely from looking at the fight that, you know, Calvin was putting up a fight. It wasn't a great fight. Uh, he was obviously very diminished from taking a lot of damage, but he was still landing punches later in the fight. Um, he wasn't completely out of it. It wasn't like I think of uh, Neil back. Major or uh, Cyborg versus Jan Finney, one of my favorites. Um, but he was out of that fight. He was getting his butt kicked, but he was still someone in the fight.
2: Yeah, because a lot of people kind of overlook it. I mean, Holloway's numbers are just asinine. Like, they're insane. Like, if if, if 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 someone just told me that and they didn't watch the fight, I wouldn't believe it, that he landed that many shots. But Calvin Cater in that fight, with the amount of shots he landed, he actually broke his own record for significant strikes in that fight. Max Holloway wore some of that throughout, but still, like, on most nights, Calvin Cater might have done enough to win that fight. But this is a whole different beast. But Holloway, Jed, what do we do with Max? Because normally it's a tough sell to give a fighter a third title fight against somebody that... You know, beat them twice already, twice in a seven-month span. But Volkanovski is getting ready to fight Brian Ortega at UFC 260 on March 27th. But regardless of who wins that fight, it's clear if Ortega wins, Holloway's next. But if Volkanovski wins, are you giving him the same road? Like, did, did Max Holloway do enough that no matter who wins on March 27th, he is next in line?
4: Look, I, I'm not giving him anything. Uh, he is going to be next in line at this point. You know, you're right. It, it's tough to make that sell to, hey, this guy's lost twice. Uh, recently. you know, we, we've seen it happen before with like Rampage against uh, Vanderlei, but that happened years down the line. They did the, the third fight. Uh, it, it's tough to make that sell, but if you're ever going to make it, it, these are the exact circumstances that it works. Max Holloway's an all-time great. He just put on a performance that literally shattered the record books for like every conceivable striking metric uh and they're coming off a fight where according to max 80 to 90 percent of people think he won so i you know i think that that's fine and you can run that rematch back i mean ultimately you're sitting and waiting and kind of crossing your fingers that brian ortega pulls it off and then you have a a weird little rock paper scissors at the top of uh but if i was in charge I wouldn't do that because as much as I would watch the hell third fight, I'd watch Alexander Volk and Holloway fight a hundred times because they're very clearly the two best featherweights in the world. And they are, they have such a unique game compared to each other that it's always going to manifest itself in a really entertaining watch. Holloway is really good. I, I saw somebody on Twitter and I forget who it was. Maybe Zane Simon, um, called, uh, called Holloway, the, the spiritual successor to George St. Pierre, and he was referring to the fact that Holloway adjusts his game plans structured around each fighter and like really unique and significant. What well, Volkanovsky the first time or uh, in the first fight, you know, he came out with his traditional stance. And the rematch, he tightened his stance up to take away some of the effectiveness of the leg kicks, and he was really successful with it. Uh, but if you know, if we want to call Max that, which I think is a pretty okay estimation, like Volkanovski. He comes from a great camp, the Taylors game plans, so don't get me wrong. But what really sets him apart to me is his ability to make in-fight determinations and and alter his game plan based on that. And we saw that in the Max rematch. Like, Max had a success early with a different game plan. Both figured out how to adjust, and then Max couldn't adjust to that during the fight. So I'd watch those guys fight forever because it will always be interesting. It will always be intriguing. There will be new, different little thing but I also think that if we watch them fight a hundred times Volkanovsky probably wins a majority of those fights. Like that just seems how that's gonna play out to me moving forward. Whereas instead I want to see Max Holloway at lightweight. Like Max Holloway has been to lightweight once. He went hammering tongs with the guy who should be the number one world right now and is potentially fighting for a title shot this weekend. We'll talk about Dustin later. I mean losing a decision to Dustin Poy If he moved up to lightweight, I think that he would immediately be kind of a top five guy in the division. And there are so many injuries there. Like, that's what I want to see happen. But he is going to get the title shot at featherweight.
2: Do you agree, Steven? Max Hawley's next fight will be for the featherweight title.
3: Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, he's got so much history. He was such a long-running champion. He dethroned Jose Aldo. He's got the juice with the UFC. You know, he's um, a a more solid, uh, bankable attraction. Um, He's a fan favorite. So I got no quarrel with that. And
4: there's still just not anybody else to throw in there against the winner of Ortega and Volkanovski. Like – the, the featherweight rankings are super weird where, like, if Calvin had won, clearly he would have made sense. But, like, Zabit just keeps not fighting, and I know that's not entirely his fault, but, like, Zabit just needs one win. And then he's the guy who gets to fight for a title, but he keeps not getting to fight. And then the rest of the division is, like, there are guys that you could put in there, but nobody's screaming for a title shot. That's why Max got his immediate rematch in the first place, and nothing has actually substantively changed from that.
3: Yeah, very much. It, it's it's a lot about expediency in this, you know, who they've got, who's the most popular and who's just coming off of a big performance. So it, it that's why it's not surprising that he might, you know, get that third fight.
2: So we will end with this because this has been quite the debate heading into this fight before the fight. And now probably more than ever, we have this debate about who is the greatest featherweight of all time. Like, is it Max Holloway or is it Jose Aldo? Jed, I know you are flying that Aldo flag high in the sky and you would fly this thing and attach it to an airplane if you could and fly it across the country. But I want you to explain yourself. But I also want to ask, is it a fair question to ask? Because sometimes when we have these debates, there's only one way to settle it and that is inside the octagon. And Holloway didn't just beat Jose Aldo twice, he put him away twice. So why is the answer so easily Jose Aldo in your eyes? And can you understand why there may be a debate here?
4: Uh, The reason there's a debate here is because Joe Rogan and John Anik have just decided to call Max the greatest of all time. He very clearly isn't. Like, I'm not saying he's not going to be. He he is still a very young man and absolutely can do. Like, I also – let's clarify one thing that I think is actually really important here. John Anik called Max the greatest featherweight champion in history uh, on the broadcast on on Saturday. That is objectively incorrect. Max Holloway has three title defenses. Jose had six or seven. Like that is just objectively wrong, but I think it speaks to kind of the recency bias of it. And because, oh, well he kicked the shit out of Jose Aldo. So he's obviously better. Jose Aldo is the youngest champion in Zufa history. Nobody ever talks about that because it's John Jones, but Jose Aldo became a champion like six months before John Jones did from an age range perspective. He just did it in the WEC, which then was the UFC still at the time. They just still weren't because of TV rights and whatever. Like he's the youngest champion in UFC history. If you're, if you're being by the spirit of it and not the letter of it. Uh, And then he was at the top of that division and beat all of the best guys in a very good division for half a decade. Like when you're talking about greatest of all time arguments i am on the record thinking that habib probably actually is in that conversation but that's purely as a fact of he is the greatest champion in the greatest division and so he gets to be put in that conversation but really that argument should center around what you've accomplished over the durate over a extended period of time in the division at the top Because Max Holloway grew up and spent five years looking at Jose Aldo and be like, here's how I beat this dude and developed a game that was kryptonite to Aldo. Like Holloway has just now started to get to the point where, all right, I'm the guy people are coming after. I have the target. Now people are developing their entire styles and building a game plan around it. Like they're just very different worlds. And I think to me, it is super clear. I think most underrated champion in ufc history i think he's one of the five probably the three greatest fighters ever from like an actual technical ability standpoint and he's just backed that up with a ton of performances and it all got washed away because of connor and that sucks so in like in total i get it It's soon it's going to start being more of a conversation if max keeps doing this But to me, it is very obvious that Jose Aldo is the best featherweight. And as long as Max doesn't have the title, I think that that still works against him.
2: Steven, what do you think? Like, where do you put Holloway on this list? Is he at the top? Is he above Aldo, below Aldo? Like, where where do you put him on this list?
3: Well, part of me thinks it's, you know, it's not just who you beat, it's when you beat them. I think that there's an argument for Max being considered the best of all time. It's the fact that he beat jose aldo twice at a time at that particular time in the sport when it was a lot more i would say evolved uh the game had literally been around longer and he had maximized his talents at the time that he did against the jose aldo that he fought um but if we're purely going on records longevity as jed mentioned age it's really hard to argue against jose i mean he's just been a jose i should say sorry uh he's just been a dominant force at the top of the featherweight division for so long or you know what when he was uh the champion he was just a dominant force like somebody that you just couldn't imagine losing the fact that max beat him was obviously a career high and put him in the conversation but i think when you put you know, the two the two schedules, the two resumes against each other, it's 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 Jose.
2: Cynthia Vance had a great question about sparring or Max, in Max's case, the lack thereof sparring. Like, will this be like a new trend among elite fighters? And just quickly on this, Jed, I want to ask, I don't feel like Max, I don't believe that Max Holloway didn't spar at all. Like, I don't think he went in there with guns blazing and got into a tire with somebody and started throwing hams at people but there's no way I just don't see a world where you have that kind of performance without moving yeah. around with somebody at least going like, you know, even 50, 60%. I I just don't buy that. He didn't spar at all. You know what I mean? Do you believe it?
4: Sure. Like I do. I, I think sparring matters, uh, especially when you're young in your career and you're developing like tactics and skills and and the ability to read people and, and what's going on and adjusting. But I mean, Max is a veteran in this game for a long time. like, I could see him doing something similarly or, or replacing it. You know, uh, I'm, I'm certainly worked pads and worked hand drills and stuff like that. I could totally buy that he didn't spar. And I, I do think we're going to see more people doing it. Didn't Stipe uh, coming into his last one. Isn't he also on the going much lighter on the sparring thing. Uh, I, I know Robbie Lawler, when he had his whole career resurgence attributed a lot of that to, Hey, I just stopped sparring as much because I already have these ingrained skills. So yeah, I think more fighters are going to do it, and I think more fighters should.
2: Yeah, I think there's a difference between like hard sparring and no sparring. Like, there's probably like a middle ground that Max found. That's at least what I thought. And if he legitimately went into that fight without sparring in any way, that's even more ridiculous to me. But do you feel like that this is the trend now, Steven? We're going to either light sparring or, as Max said, no sparring. Like, we're, we're veering away from just getting in there and blasting each other in the gym. At least the hope is, right?
0: Shoot a box style. Yeah.
2: Well, look. I mean, there's still
3: going to be uh, gyms, certain coaches. Certain, there's always going to be the perspective that if you want to learn how to fight, you got to fight, and if you got to, you got to fight a lot. And the guy who fights more is going to come into the to the octagon more able to withstand, you know, the punishment that that could come his way. There's always going to be that perspective. But if it wasn't the trend before, it certainly might be now. You know, you look at a guy, you look at a performance like Holloway's, you look at how he, how he did what he did. um, And you say, yeah, maybe we're doing this wrong. I think that's been the trend in general. uh, Like uh, Jed mentioned with uh, Robbie Lawler, that actually took place a lot earlier than what Robbie advertised it as. Like he stopped sparring pretty much when he had, he decided, you know, look, I know how to fight. I'm not going to spar anymore. And that was not in his later career. That was like his mid career. So you could say that a lot of fighters could be making that decision. You know, you talk about like things that allow you to get in the mode of fighting without actually fighting some of the hand-eye coordination drills. I remember Anderson Silva doing that drill with the, the, the little ball that he was bouncing off the wall. You know, things that basically train your brain to find a target with your fist. You know, that's what you're doing. Um, And then, like you said, Mike, earlier, sort of doing a a halfway point between, you know, full contact and just moving around, you know, something where you get the sense of things, you get to build your timing, but you don't have to take a lot of that head trauma that ultimately may diminish you when you get into the, the cage on fight night.
2: And that's what we want to see at the end of the day. But also, Mac, what Max Holloway did was incredible. Calvin Cater's heart was unbelievable. What a crazy 25 minutes that fight was. And a fun round kicks off this championship matchup on BTL. Thank you for the question, Cynthia. First point of this matchup goes to... <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Jed Machu is on the board. One to nothing. That was... <laughs> I was like, did the drum you know, break? What, what happened? <laughs> just you know, just, just waiting Matt around.
4: And we didn't even mention the fact that he like, no look, was slipping punches and talking like mad trash.
2: It was amazing. The whole true. thing was ridiculous.
4: Like, true, true, true. Left on the table man.
2: Yeah, I mean, that was like part of the whole performance overall. Like, was it an all-time great? I mean, when was the last time? you've I've I've never seen anything like that
0: before. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down.
1: and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
2: Uh, But let us move ahead, and we will put a bow on UFC Fight Island 7 and UFC Fight Island 8 with a very popular segment from our tape shows, the three-star segment. And now we have a bigger sample size to choose from. So if you're new to the show, this is like the end of an NHL game where there's three stars awarded for their performances, and that's what we're going to do here. But we're going to take a look at both Fight Night events – and kind of combine them. So, Jen Mishu, we will begin with you. We will remove Mr. Holloway from the equation because he's a no-brainer to make the top three, no doubt about it. So, outside of Max Holloway, who are your three stars coming out of UFC Fight Island 7 and 8, kind of combining the two events as one, like, super card?
4: You know, I when I was first looking at this, it was actually – I won't say difficult to choose somebody from Fight Island 7, but Fight Island 8 was really had a lot of great performances. I did want to space it out just a little bit. So for Fight Island 7, I'm going to throw my boy uh, Li Jiang Liang out there, uh, colded Santiago Ponzinibbio, uh, I believe I called that uh, on our preview show. Uh, or our, our last week, uh, certainly we were talking about it uh, in the comments of the preview show. He came, you know, Santiago Ponzimbio was a dude with a lot of hype two years ago, came back, and everybody still kind of thought that he was just going to walk through uh, Lee, I'm going to butcher this again, Lee Jingliang and didn't at all. <laughs> so uh, when you've got a guy with that much kind of... Uh, built up behind him and then you can take that away with one punch i'll give you a, a, a star gold star for that performance i wanted to give a gold star to alessio to chirico but then he didn't take any advantage of it so we're not going to talk about him uh steven can take the chirico if he wants to for me the other two uh umar and uh, he uh who came in with a lot of expectations around him he's the cousin of of habib he has that last name that comes with responsibility and expectation frankly and he lived up to it you know i know he wasn't super per, uh, happy with his performance in that first round and habib said some stuff stuff kind of similar but uh the i mean the low key thing that nobody's talking about is Sergey Mor- morozov is actually like a really good fighter like that's a dude who's going to hang around in the division for a while in the ufc m one global champion and uh habib jr or umar really just ran through him and, and did get to finish got that 50k uh, as good on a, a debut as you could hope for from him and then got around it out with michael chiesa i know that that fight wasn't anybody's idea of like the most awesome thing to watch it's very very grindy grappling base but we talked about it last week i'm not a chiesa believer. i still after this performance i'm probably not a Chiesa believer actually but you got to give the man his due. I mean, he came in, he beat a really tough guy. He's going to be looking at uh, probably a, a slight bump in the rankings and his next fight is going to be whoever it's against. It'll end up getting him uh, a title shot, right? Like if he beats his next opponent, he probably does get a title shot. And, but really the thing he gets to gold star for me is he came out on the mic, did that work. Like you got to call your shot. You got to take advantage of your opportunities. He's main eventing. He calls out Colby Covington with a very topical, solid call-out, drops the mic, moves on. Like, he did it as good as you can do it. So even if it was maybe not the most exciting, I think he advanced his career by far the most of anyone this these past five, six days.
2: Steven, who are your three stars? Wait, wait, wait. You're saying that
3: that, like, call us like, doing work? Like, to me, that's, like, the lowest-hanging fruit. The election is up your your shtick is over like that's the lowest of the low-hanging fruit like everybody knows what's that what say that again uh,
4: low-hanging fruit's delicious i'm not trying to climb to the top of the fig tree to get the unripe crap like give me that one that's dropping off the tree right there it's delicious it's beautiful
3: it's low calorie and it has no nutrition like, it's it's clearly uh, the easiest target uh, if you are uh, uh, swinging for the chin there. That being, um, it's not an incorrect call out. And, you know, if you're going to put yourself on the next level, which Kiesa basically needs to do, um, having won four fights now at welterweight, I mean, you've gotta, like you said, start swinging for the fences and start getting these guys who suck up all the oxygen in the division. Jorge Masvidal, Colby Coven are the two guys that um, you know they they do big business for the UFC so you gotta you gotta get try and get fights with those guys to build your name build that sort of critical mass to a title shot uh, so yeah Kiesa in in my uh, somewhat insulting uh, quip there earlier I'll totally agree with you and say that kiesa was one of my three stars you know at, a, at the age he's at, he's at 33. He's got two, 22 professional fights. You know, there's a he could be trending down, um, and he's obviously going the opposite direction. I think he's going to need to clean up his stand-up. He's going to need to take his stand-up to the next level um, if he's going to really contend uh, with the top, top of the division. Um, but he's looking good. And I think the uh, thing that I want to say, the lesson that we should take from this is never – underestimate the power of more fluid in your brain uh because you know he's a, a guy that uh was really really uh sucked out as a lightweight and quite clearly it had uh, an effect on his performance so you know these guys when once they start fighting at their the, the weight class they should be fighting at lo and behold we see these amazing performances they start performing at their best who would have thunk um, the other one, uh, I'm going to agree with you again, uh, uh, Jing Liang, um, just because he was an, uh, two to uh, plus 200, at least a plus 200 underdog, uh, totally starts, uh, Santiago. You got to kind of put the, the asterisk asterisk in there that Santiago had a pretty huge health scare. and was, uh, out of the cage for a long time. So this was probably the wrong fight for him to come back at, uh, or come back to. Um, but you know, Jingling's been around for a while, man. Like he's, he's always been that guy who's super tough, not an easy out for anybody, but he loses to the uh, more talented guys. Santiago came in with this huge win streak, beat a lot of really uh, talented, talented guys. Um, you know, had an argument for being in a, in the mix for the, for the title shot and just starched him. So uh, gold star, as as Jed would say for him, and then finally uh, I'll do a play uh, directly to the judges uh, because I know that they're uh, that they would approve, uh, and that is Carlos Condit uh, because uh, he is an OG, and it's uh, hard as somebody who's you know been around a minute not to you know Homer for these guys. They've been around for so long. Condit is just you know he had that. Terrible, terrible skid. uh, Took a lot of damage against Robbie Lawler in that fight that we all remember. Um, And it just always kind of warms my heart to see, like, a guy like him bounce back in the octagon, fight another veteran, you know, uh, triumph in the way that he did and show that he's not done. So um, another one to Jackson Wink
2: and uh, Carlos Condit. Those are my three. (laughs) There's there's the, the air horn. So that's... (laughs) <laughs> so, um Steven, I'll go back to you because Jed Jed discussed Alessio DeCurico and the stance he took after his win over Joaquin Buckley. John Eck after the win, he goes and says, You know what? I'm I'm happy with the win and the performance, but that's it. I'm cutting this interview short. And then he goes to the media room 20 minutes later and says, Happy with the win and the performance, but I'm done. You know, you don't want to talk to the losers of the fight. We're done. And Just a little tease. I spoke with Mr. DeCirico earlier today. He explains why he did that and answers all of those questions. So you're going to have to wait till What the Heck drops on Tuesday to get that response. It was really an enjoyable conversation with the man. Uh, Yep, a little bit of a tease there. But what did you think of of what Alessio DiCirico did after a win over Joaquin Buckley? Because some people thought it was... Like, Jed, on Jed's side, he was like, you just wasted a huge opportunity. But if you look at the YouTube numbers on MMA Fighting's YouTube page, DeCurico's post-fight scrum did better than Max Holloway's by, like, triple. I mean, if you put re- reporter bashed or X
3: fighter bashes Y reporter, you can pretty much 3X your traffic right there. I mean, <laughs> this sport uh, loves to drag its... Uh, it's professionals through the mud. And in particular, reporters who don't always make themselves look uh, good, um, you know, by how they ask questions, what questions they ask, you know, when they ask them. It's it's a sport where, you know, you show up to a press conference and, you know, if you, you know, any of them, you know, you could, there are so many examples of dumb questions. We talked about them all the time in the chat. You know, who are these guys? Where do they come from? And why are they asking what they're asking? So um, it's cathartic. If Alessio DiCirico comes out and basically gives a middle finger to the MMA media, you know, us, you know, the the fans get to live vicariously through them. And yeah, screw those guys. You know, they do, uh, favor the winners and they shit on the losers and, you know, yeah, you know, uh, but as Jed said, it's not a great look. You know, if you, if you want, uh, more press, you're probably going to need to talk to us at some point. And if you're going to want a bigger platform, you're going to need to have more interviews and get your name out there more. So long-term, I don't know what the, what the effect is going to be, but, you know, it's always good for a short-term pop.
2: I will say that Dakirico has no disrespect towards the media in general. So I will just that that'll be the the little seed planted. He he explains himself. It's an interesting stance. But uh, last thing so before we move on to Saturday,
4: said, what's that? Instead, he, instead he wanted us to just go interview the dude he knocked, literally unconscious.
2: He knows he knows that that wasn't possible either. You'll you'll hear okay. what his reasoning is. It actually. It actually kind of makes sense the more he explained it. but um, So I I do want to talk about yesterday before we move on to UFC 257 because, like you guys mentioned, Michael Chiesa gets a big win in the main event. The bonuses for that card, the fight of the night, super easy. Mike Davis, Mason Jones, absolutely insane fight, well-deserved. I would give those guys like a half a mil because that's how good that fight was. Worley Alves, who... Didn't end up on any of the star lists. Gets a bonus for his trifecta of body kicks to Munir Lazes. But the second performance bonus goes to Umar namaga who put put it on a really tough guy, like Jed said, Sergei Morozov. Before Worley's finish, Ike Villanueva sent poor Vinicius Moreira into another universe with a vicious knockout. He gets on the mic. He doesn't ask for the... He just says, I love the UFC... I'll be at my full-time job on Monday. I'm a blue-collar guy trying to make it and take care of my family. And most of the time when you say something like that, that pays off. It did not here because he did not get the bonus. So, Jed, let me ask you, do you agree with Umar Namaga-Madoff getting the bonus over Ike Villanueva, or should the UFC just been like, dude, Ike, you get this thing. You're, you're, Umar, you're Namaga-Madoff. You don't need the bonus.
4: So I'm going to equivocate very slightly here because, one – by most metrics, I absolutely think Ike should have gotten the bonus. Like it was a more viscerally appealing stoppage. He clearly needs it more. I don't want to speak too much for Umar Mohamedov, but he probably is doing okay at least in that regard. But I will say that I think Umar's performance was more impressive because I rate Sergey Morozov pretty well, and Ike knocked out a dude who's lost three in a row. So, like, it's I can see the argument, and but realistically, they gave it to New Umar because he's he's an Arman Medov, not because it was as impressive. If you're just going on the of the pure aesthetics of it, which I think is usually how we kind of view those those awards, then yeah, should have gone to Ike.
2: What do you think, Stephen? Did did Ike, as I like to say, get the big fat hose job yesterday?
3: I think the only thing I would add is if you're looking at bantamweight competition, just the, it's harder sometimes to get, to get, you know, big impressive stoppage performances. You know, I guess what I'm trying to say is the light heavyweight division, it's much more frequent that these guys just start slugging and one person goes down. It's, it's a punch that the more, uh, more easily lends itself to quick stoppages. And so when you look at it from that perspective, you know, yeah, it was, it was a more exciting sort of finish, you know, Knockouts are just—they're uh, the home runs of the sport. Um, but I think you know, th- th- like Jed said, it was—it was probably a function of uh, the, the the family name that gave him the uh, the, the bonus. And hopefully, uh, Ike gets a a quick turnaround
2: and b some cash on the side if they're still doing that. I agree. Uh, so a couple of fun events to kick off 2021. Which goes into this weekend. We got UFC 257. We're gonna talk all about that next. But the point for round two goes to the drum roll. Steven Morocco. He is on the board. It is one one. After round two, Jed with the single tier. So always Saturday night. <laughs> always play to the judges. So Saturday night. Let's get right to it. The rematch goes down a little over six, a little under six years from the first meeting. UFC 178, September of 2014. Dustin Poirier will look to avenge his first round knockout loss in the main event this Saturday against the biggest star in the sport, Conor McGregor. Steven, I'm going to begin with you. We're going to talk about the matchup and kind of some of the interesting details and the buildup in a moment. But this morning, We saw the UFC 257 press conference. It was Dustin and Connor and Dan Hooker and Michael Chandler. And it was like the four horsemen up there is very respectful, very different than most of these moments involving Conor McGregor. A lot of mutual respect here. No trash talk, much different than the first fight. What did you make of Connor and Dustin at the presser? Did anything surprise you? And did you take anything away from it?
3: I mean... They're coming at it from a completely different point on earth. Like (laughs) Conor McGregor is, is insanely wealthy. He's the biggest uh, star in the sport. He is the one guy who can arguably alter the trajectory of the promotion. Like he is one guy who's like arguably bigger than uh, the UFC, So it doesn't surprise me when he gets up and he talks about turning over a new leaf and doesn't come at it with the same, you know, vitriol that we're used to seeing from him. Also, he has a win over Dustin Poirier. He's beaten Dustin before and beat him very handily. So all of this should feel like deja vu with a few, you know, what, 10 extra zeros in his bank account. Um, So that's kind of the perspective, uh, I, I, I bring to it. He obviously has some, some tough work ahead of him, you know, depending on what happens in the division with Chandler, uh, hooker. So, uh, he shouldn't get too comfortable, uh, especially if he decides to stay active and not wait for a rematch with Khabib that might or might not come. But, um, no, it wasn't It wasn't surprising to me to see that. I mean, Dustin has always been kind of a respectful guy anyways. He's not one to get um, into this sort of tête-à-tête. And, you know, the first time that he fought Connor, he basically said it was something that was out of character. So um, ultimately, I think that we... What what followed the press conference wasn't too much of a surprise because of, you know, the the guy's history, the context of where they're at in their careers, and and what sort of at stake in the, at this very moment.
2: What did you think of it, Jed? What did you think of, uh, you know, the, the the very friendly press conference that we're not used to seeing from from a Conor McGregor fight?
4: Just friggin' boring, man. And like, it's probably what we're gonna get from now on. And it's up, like. Look, I'm on the record. I was never a big, like, Conor Presser guy. Uh, I I think a lot of his shtick just never really hit home for me as much as it did for millions upon millions of other people. And But this is the same thing we got with Cerrone. It's what we got here with Poirier. It's probably what we're going to get forever after at this point because, you know, however you want to couch it, like, Conor only punched up, really. He would respond if you know somebody like little heathen decides to pop off at the mouth behind him he might hit him with a, the a glancing blow and keep it moving but you know he he came after guys because he was making a name for himself and or they had the title and he's trying to play mind games and he doesn't have to do that anymore so he doesn't need to do that and he's probably not going to but it was lame as hell that everybody else was just cool with it like i get dustin boy like that's just who he is and i'm not asking people to be out step outside themselves because the only thing worse than being like triton boring in that regard is fabricating something to be cool but like dan hooker's got opinions and thoughts and i know that they're not all good about conor mcgregor like he he made the broomstick comment about chucky olives like he couldn't throw some glancing fire at mcgregor like get something going It's nonsense. And, like, I can't figure out if it's because fighters are just cowed and don't want to play the dozens with McGregor because they're afraid they're going to lose or if everybody's just like, no, I'm not. I'm going to be super GSP respectful. But either way, it sucks because, like, of all the people you can talk shit about in this sport, McGregor had – you got receipts on McGregor. Like, there's so much of it out there. Like, if Conor McGregor – young Conor McGregor, pre-UFC Conor McGregor came in and was on the undercard of current Conor McGregor and they were at the presser right there, he'd have been lighting his own ass up. Like, there's just (laughs) this week he he got sued and nobody mentions that. Nobody mentions his, like, very troubling history outside of the cage. Like, all of those are topics that a young Conor McGregor would absolutely throw at him and nobody's willing to step there, like, on that stage with him. And that's super frustrating because like one, we probably should get him to answer those questions just in general, because he's really not doing a lot of that either. But also like, let's see if that works on Connor. Like Connor's always been driving the mental warfare. If somebody comes to him, how's he going to actually handle it? Uh, I, I don't know because I don't think he's handled it super well with the fact that Habib talked shit to him and then beat his ass. So if somebody else can just come to him with some real like, maybe he's going to balk at that. Like, I, I don't know. We should see, but nobody's testing him. And so it sucked. It was boring, and I didn't like it.
3: <laughs> well, I think we have our winner there.
2: <laughs> should we even talk anymore this round? Let's just go to the third round. I, I mean, all right, we, we can converse amongst ourselves here. But <laughs> <laughs> I am curious. I I am curious, Jed, because, you know, like Steven said and and like you alluded to as well, Conor has made millions and millions of dollars by selling fights on the microphone, talking a lot and leaving you without a lot of gray air. You either loved Conor on the rise and you would pay any amount of money to see him win or you couldn't stand his ass and you would pay any amount of money to see him get his ass kicked in the octagon. This version of McGregor, he's living in the moment. He's doing it for the fans. He's ready to entertain not looking too far in the future, not looking at the past. So outside of him saying he's going to win in 60 seconds, there have really been no shots fired here, no trash talk at all from Connor. So as a fight fan, does this make the fight itself on Saturday in your eyes more intriguing or less intriguing with this buildup?
4: I think they've done everything they can to make it not intriguing. (laughs) Like, uh, like, this is a intriguing fight just on the merits which we'll probably at some point talk about but like the least the worst way to sell this fight is yeah i know i already worked him and i think i'm gonna knock him out in 60 seconds but he's a hell of a dude cool (laughs) great guy i'm gonna knock him out in 60 seconds and i already did it in two minutes like Cool, I guess. I don't know. Like, they're not doing, nobody's selling this fight. They're trying to let it stand on its own merits, and it's going to do fine. It's a kind of McGregor fight. They're not going to struggle for buys here, but it, it is definitely the, like I said, it's the least interesting way anybody could have promoted this fight, as far as I'm concerned.
3: But, but you know, <laughs> what think, do you think, Steve? Think about- Well, okay. so to think about the way it's the most fight industry way for this thing to play out, like today to play out. How many times do they set things up like a T-ball, you know, and make it so easy for the fighters and the fighters, you know, trip over their dicks nonetheless? (laughs) I mean, it's just it's it's (laughs) see Uh, it's. There is so the fight industry is the red light industry of combat sports for a reason. They try to set these things up. They make it so easy and they still manage to screw it up. You know, I, yes, it, it, it's absolutely what would have been the better play um, to have, you know, Connor doing things. But these are ultimately people, you know, they're not uh, they're not it's not a script. It's It's completely unscripted. And the way that things play out is the way that they play out. Very frequently, are the viral moments in our sport are complete accidents. And that's what makes the UFC so great at times because it's a complete accident. But the more they try to control it, the more they try, they try to push people into a certain outcome. You know, either it happens or it happens and it's not genuine, which ends up undercutting the message in the first
2: place. Well said. Uh, So I want to touch on two things because we don't need to sell this fight. We don't need to sell it. People are going to buy and people are going to watch it. Connor's back. He's fighting Dustin Poirier. People care and they're going to watch it. So there are two narratives that have been very – or that has lasted longer, one that has kind of popped up over the last week or so. One is that Dustin Poirier has improved leaps and bounds since their first fight in 2014. That is a huge thing that is being discussed in this fight not being discussed that often is Connor's improvement because Connor has certainly improved leaps and bounds since then as well. So Steven, let me, let me ask you, I know this is kind of a hard question to answer, but you could just go off your gut and I guess there's really no wrong answer depending on how you present it. Who would you say has improved more since that first fight Connor or Dustin? I would say
3: Dustin. Uh, I think Dustin was a very beatable featherweight and, Turned into a, a, a world class lightweight. Now he happened to run into, you know, some tremendous talent. You know, probably the the once in a generation talent, um, in Khabib. Um, but he, his transformation is truly amazing. What he was able to do, and and after the way he was beaten by Conor, um, in, in such in such a devastating fashion, um, I, I think. He's the one that you make the argument that he's a completely different fighter. I think Connor has always been kind of the same fighter, and that you know that's a tremendously talented fighter, like a guy with timing, you know, an unbelievable sense of timing, aided by a very healthy range advantage over a lot of his opponents. Um, but he's always been a guy with that and questionable rap- grappling skills. Uh, and a great talent on the mic. So, um, yeah, I, I don't even think it's close. I think that Dustin is is the guy that's quite obviously most improved. And that's the reason to me why this fight is so exciting. It feels like a completely different fight as opposed to when they first fought and we were just getting a sense of how good Conor McGregor was. I think he was always, you know, when he when he started finding his stride in cage warriors, I think we had a sense there of his his potential and he just further proved it as he went along. Dustin, I feel like, again, this sort of late career resurgence, more fluid in the brain, different fighter, and that's why this is so intriguing.
2: What do you think, Jed? Because the odds, the money coming in in Vegas, they don't seem to care how much Dustin Poirier has improved over the years because Connor went from a minus 180 favorite to now over a three to one favorite heading into Saturday. Lots of money coming in on the former double champion. Are you surprised by this?
4: I'm not surprised by it because it's a Connor McGregor fight that he's always going to be inflated in the odds just because it, the one time he wasn't was against Donald Cerrone. He should have been like a minus 5,000 favorite. But anybody else, he's always going to get a little more juice just because of his public recognition. As far as who's improved more, uh, the honest answer is we don't know. Uh, we know how much Dustin Poirier has improved and it's a tremendous amount. Uh, we have no idea how how much or how little Conor Marrera has improved. He, he's done basically the same thing his entire career. He's looked pretty similar. He definitely looks more healthy at lightweight and looks like this for this fight at least he's bulked up a little bit. But as far as skills and improvement, I – he hasn't fought consistently enough uh, in like the kind of fights that we would get to see, Oh, here's how he's improving. He hasn't fought a bunch of different styles. He's mostly fought the same kind of guys and he's been able to do what he wants to do. And that frankly is a testament to how good he is or was at that time Mm -hmm. when they first fought, like he was already so polished and talented. I am confident Conor McGregor's improved since then because it's, seven years and he's a professional and he works every day but like i genuinely can't say how if he's improved by a lot or a little like in his losses he lost to a guy who was super tough in nate diaz and then he just got beat by one of the three or four greatest fighters of all time like those weren't really instructive or instructive about his level of ability i do think actually the nate diaz fight told us a little bit that he's a much better grappler than people think that he is although i don't know that we consider him a good grappler i'm sure he's a competent grappler at least though uh, but yeah i mean we just don't know because we haven't seen him we have never seen Conor mcgregor get tested and, and overcome really like against nate diaz he lost. They rematched. He won early and then held on for the win. It wasn't like the Poirier Hooker, where Poirier was just getting worked for two rounds. Adjusted, came back and and was dominant. And that's not to say Connor is a front runner or can't do it. But the way his career has played out, we haven't seen it yet, so it's tough to gauge just how good he is. Frankly, like we have no actual idea if he's even a top five lightweight. We just don't.
2: Steven, do you feel like Dustin is being overlooked here? Do you feel like the diamond is being viewed like the cubic zirconia amongst the masses heading into Saturday?
3: Ouch, cubic zirconia. That's uh, that's quite the insult. Um, yeah, it, I think it's just gonna happen. You know, Connor is his own planet at this point, and the part of the reason why he doesn't need to get up on the microphone and do all this work is because his fans do it for him. You know, it's like this army of people that basically comes out for everything that he does and makes comment sections a living hell. Um, So, you know, he's going to get overlooked because of the first outcome and because of just the way Connor sort of reshapes the debate on everything. He's just a, you know, one one of the biggest forces in the sport. And, you know, he's got the the, the ultimate... um, Chip in this bet, which is that he kicked ass the first
2: time. How overlooked is Dustin Poirier heading into this fight? I'm not calling Dustin the cubic zirconia, Jed, but just I don't know. It's just a silly reference that that yeah. probably flopped if we're being honest here. But uh, you know, how overlooked hey, do you think Dustin like. is in this fight?
4: Uh, I think a little bit. It, definitely. I mean, the uh, you just referenced the odds. I think those odds are out of whack. I still ultimately probably think Conor McGregor wins this fight, but uh, I I didn't even mention it because I'm just so generous. But you teed me up perfectly at the start of this whole thing to just trash James Lynch, who was like Dustin Poirier is not very good defensively when like he clearly has improved a massive amount because he beat Max Holloway, that dude we just talked about throwing 500 billion strikes. Uh, I digress. Sorry. Uh, the point re- <laughs> I was trying to make, though, is uh, like Poirier is better than he's getting credit for, certainly. Uh, but ultimately, it might not matter. Like, this might just be a bad style matchup. And McGregor, you know, Poirier might have improved a lot and McGregor may have improved less so. But he might have already just been so far ahead that Poirier can't catch up. I still kind of think Conor is going to win the fight. But I think it's way closer, at least, than certainly the odds suggest.
2: Like I said earlier, this is one of those fights where we do not need to sell you on anything. I mean, the storylines have been beaten to death. It's going down Saturday. We get the weigh-ins tomorrow morning. A lot of intrigue. Winner moves on to a title fight against somebody not named Habib Nurmagomedov. Because let's be honest, Habib does not care. What happens with this fight? He's going to be living the lavish life of retirement. He's a busy man. He does not care in this fight. So do not get sold those wolf tickets, ladies and gentlemen. It's not going to happen. But we we are going to get ready for the final round of regulation. The points for round three goes to... The first of the two air horns, Jed Mishu. He is up two to one. But let's take a look at the rest of this card, okay? <sighs> of course, the co-main, event, the co-main event is getting a ton of attention. We got Dan Hooker and the debuting Michael Chandler. We got Joanne Calderwood versus Jessica I. We got Otman Azaitar and Matt Frivola getting the main card shine, which I'm digging, by the way. I think that's a great fight to put on the main card. And then we kick it off with Amanda Hibas versus Marina Rodriguez, which is a really good fight, too. So... Jed, we're going to start with you. What are your thoughts on the undercard this time around? Because there's some damn good main card fights, but there's also a lot of intriguing preliminary fights as well.
4: Yeah, man, definitely. Uh, I think this is one of those cards where it would be a really bad card without the two top fights on it just because all the other fighters – kind of lack name value, but the fights themselves are, are competitive or at least fun. Not all of them are competitive. (laughs) Let's be clear about that. Um, kind of the for instance, Khalil Roundtree is fighting (laughs) and he's fighting Marcin Procneo. and Marcin and is going to get knocked out. It's only a question of how, how many minutes in, because it's going to be in the first round. Uh, but so that will be fun because you're going to get to watch a super violent KO in the light heavyweight division. But as, as far as like kind of the, unheralded or, or maybe less uh less notable fights uh i mean for me i'm looking at juliana pena uh sarah mcmahon it's probably not going to be an interesting fight but it's a really relevant fight um both of those women still have a name in the division and still matter uh, and if mcmahon can get this win and she she is favored can get a win here maybe one more she might find herself contesting for the band weight title she's not that far off uh Nazrat uh I've always had a soft spot uh, in my heart for him, and Armin uh, Sarakurian is like he's a really good fighter. Like I, the odds actually skew really heavy in that fight, and I think Nazrat has a much better chance than kind of the makers are giving him. Uh, but for me, sort of the big highlight I'm looking forward to is actually a hugely uh, huge difference in the odds from from the early prelims. And it, it's Mobstar Evloev and Nick Lentz. Look, Evloev is, is kind of the young, new hot thing. Uh he's a guy with a super promising career ahead of him, definitely. This is this is Nick Lentz's wheelhouse. Like this is where his bread is is upsetting the apple cart of people that everybody thinks is, is the next guy. Like he he's done it before. Uh, who's that dude who sucks now? And I can't think of his name. <laughs> Mirsad Bekic. He's like bad now. <laughs> like it was not oh long boy. ago. Oh boy. Was not that is he, was a dead dead. is he a cubic zirconium?
3: Is he is he the cubic zirconium of featherweight? <laughs> nah,
4: man, he ain't even that now. And, and that's the sad thing, like because Mirsad was like he was a dude that literally I was like oh, he's, he's going to fight for a title multiple times, if not straight win one. And then he ran into Nick Lentz, beat Nick Lentz's ass for 12 minutes, and then just, just lost. <laughs> and that was the end of it. Like That was the end of his whole career, basically, because that's what Nick Lentz does. He hands prospects losses. And so even though Nick Lentz is probably at the end of his run here, he's on a definite losing streak, Like I want to see if he can do it again because he he's sh- he is not any less the ter- the durable tough bastard that he's been before so that that's the the prelim card fight that i'm the most looking forward
2: to Honestly.
0: <laughs>
2: oh man i'm trying to go back when did that fight happen which one nick lentz and mirsad bektik are you sure you got the right guy are you thinking of darren elkins Maybe.
4: Oh, I am thinking of Darren Elkins. Yeah, the same dude.
3: Can we just have an automatic loss? Could he just automatically forfeit I this round? All the time, Steve. That's fine.
4: You can, <laughs> you can absolutely understand though that Nicklinson and Darren Elkins are the exact same individual, right? Like that's they're the same one. One of them has a really uh, bad chest, injury, but other than that, I mean, it's the same thing.
3: Wait, wait, right. no, Darren St. Elkins St. takes. Three times the damage of Lentz. So what are you talking about? Like Darren Elkins, like if you talk about significant strikes absorbed, like it's probably two times or three times what Lentz absorbs. Nick Lentz is actually, I mean, you know, he's had some struggles, but he's a talented David, dude. Like you said. Yeah, he's a carney. You like him? Yeah, exactly. But uh, if we're talking punching bags, I think they're in a different category.
2: Yeah, baby. Steven, before – Yes. Yeah, but, Steven, before I give you the point, uh, remember when McGregor fought Donald Cerrone and people just dumped on the depth of the card? Like, people thought the UFC essentially just gave up because they believed the promotion took this approach of, you know what, Connor's headlining, we could just throw anybody on there. By the way, important to note, we were also supposed to get Shane Burgos versus Hakeem Diwadu on this card. So all things That's considered, probably. I think they did a pretty damn good job. How would you grade this undercard on paper?
3: You know, all, all Connor cards are going to be a little bit of a lot top heavy. Uh, the fact that we have Chandler Hooker at the, in the co-main event is actually a, you know, a, a positive thing. If you think about the budget that it adds to the entire event, you know, they have lighter uh, cards in, in Connor McGreg- McGregor for Connor McGregor is because he costs them much money. You know, it's like, you know, they got a, they got a budget to keep to, and they got to try and, you know, manage their margins. And you, if you have Connor McGregor at the top of the card, you've got a lot of money going out. So I think that's a big part of it, and you can't discount that. Um, As far as prelim bouts, uh, I kind of want to see what Shoeface does. You know, he's had a couple of losses, but he was on a five-fight win streak beforehand, uh, with some wins over solid guys like Marvin Vittori being one of them. Uh, So I kind of want to see what happens with him uh, against Brad Tavares, a guy who's been around forever, tough guy. I think I tend to think that the Pena versus McCann match is a loser leaves town kind of fight uh both of them have had like a lot of setbacks uh over their careers you know being uh although actually uh mcmahon just won a recent fight so cancel what i just said there <laughs> but anyways if, if if either of them are going to stay in the in the picture at all at bantamweight uh it's an interesting fight in that from that perspective uh, and then the other one i just wanted to mention not you know kind of violating the rule, but um, Amanda Hibas. I want to see what happens with her. I think that she's um, gotten some really big wins, and I want to see if she's going to be a contender uh, at strawweight. Um, and Mariana, Marina Rodriguez has had some, uh, she's like in general, like a really exciting fighter to watch with her Muay Thai. So I kind of want to see what happens in that fight, see how the, the strawweight division shakes out.
2: All right. Last thing on this before we move to the knock around, Uh, you know, we talked about earlier, the winner of Poirier versus McGregor likely in a title fight, but if it isn't Habib, like who could it be? So one thing that stood out from the press of this morning and Jed mentioned it, although he could have gone in a little harder. Like, in his mind, Dan Hooker was really good at that press conference today. I thought he stole the show amongst the four guys. He's taking on Michael Chandler, who's so damn good with the media. Like, he just knows what to say, when to say it all the time. It's just amazing. So, let me ask you, Stephen, if either of these guys get a win, Hooker or Chandler, like an impressive win on Saturday, how would you rate their chances of being the other half of that potential title fight, no matter what happens with McGregor and Poirier?
3: No matter what happens with McGregor and Poirier. Um, I don't know. I think that given this current situation with Khabib, where he's going to end up, you know, he could throw this thing out of whack immediately, depending on what he decides to do, even though he probably won't return until later, later this year. You know, if either, I think if Chandler... Um, gets has a really impressive performance. He has the the biggest likelihood because they spend a lot of money on him. And if, if they, they, you know, historically they spend a lot of money on, you know, new, uh, acquisitions, they tend to give them the biggest fights, uh, biggest and toughest fight fights possible as soon as possible. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I don't know. I don't really know how to answer that question. It's, there's just, there's a lot of th- moving parts in play. Charles, Charles Oliveira is out there. Um, who, I think he's definitely got an argument for a title shot. Um, I don't know. <laughs> this isn't a forfeit, but I
2: don't have the best answer. That's okay. You know, you could have just said yes or no. And one <laughs> word would have got you into the knockout anyways, but, uh, uh my, friend, tra- my friend, my friend, my buddy, <laughs> no, you're good. Uh, my buddy just texted me this. So I want and he's watching right now. So I wanted to get your takes on this. So Steven, I'm gonna start with you. Dana White is ready to, as the rock used to say in the WWF, lay it the smack it down on piracy. So he says at the press conference that they have somebody in their crosshairs. And then he went on to speak to BT Sport, which you may have seen this clip on Twitter already. And he said, they have this person, they're watching his house, they're listening to his phone calls. And if this link goes up on Saturday, somebody's ass is getting arrested. So what do you make of all this? Do you believe Dana White when he says these things?
3: Is the the UFC the FBI? Like, how could they be watching his house? Like... I mean, is this like Mission Impossible here where they're like in a van that says Carpet Cleaners Deluxe or something? Um, <laughs> I don't know. That's that's kind of whack. Uh, <laughs> I mean, look, he's got to send this message out. It, they need this money. Conor McGregor's their, their biggest cash cow. Um, he consistently produces big revenue for them. It means more to them right now to stop pirates than, than any other time. So of course they're going to try and push this message out, uh, before this big fight. Um, it's, it, it's funny the way they do it. Um, the way the, the the drama they try to add to it. Um, and you know, I, I can't wait to see, I can't wait to see who this guy is. If it's just like, you know, a, a college kid in its basement or like, you know, maybe like the like the rock himself like maybe the rock is the guy i don't know um that would be hilarious but yeah i mean to me it's just uh it's just another thing that they it's another sort of narrative that they try to push because it it benefits them right now
2: jed you know you know when you try to like pull a prank on somebody it's like believable for a while and you're selling it and you're like you're buying it but then you say like one thing that just took it too far and you realize that they're absolutely full of shit and that this is a prank the whole time i know you don't look at dana white as the most honest man on earth but in this circumstance and by the way i am not supporting the piracy game whatsoever just buy the freaking pay-per-view and support the fighters but you think dana overplayed his hand here a little bit
4: look as a general rule if dana says it i i believe that that's not true like just Anything that he says, I'm going to assume is, is a lie. Uh, and more often than not, I think I'd be right with, with with that plan of action. So no, I don't think that they have spies on this dude's house. Uh, I certainly hope not because it's me. I'm the pirate Dana. I'm the guy giving all of the people the things. So come after me. Uh, but no, man like they're not doing this. Dana's is talking like Dana's just gonna say some shit the same way that he and Habib had a talk where Habib said if they really impressed him, he'd come, no, they didn't. That, that's not what happened because it's not what ha- nothing is ever as Dana says it is. And so this is like hilarious that he thinks that they are the FBI, I guess I don't know, but like I don't nobody's gonna get prosecuted here. I doubt anybody gets caught from their new Proactive piracy rules, like it's still going to be the same thing. I agree. Don't pirate pay-per-views. It's bad because it's illegal, and that's the society we live in, where if you do illegal things, that's bad. But you know, <laughs> instead of military, <pirating> you <laughs> can tune to MMAfighting.com, where I'm going to be live blogging all of the main card fights for UFC 257. So that's a way better use of your time if you don't have $75 to. By the pay-per-view,
3: can I can I just say, I think it would have been more likely on January twenty, uh, January nineteenth, that the UFC would have had the resources of the FBI, the NSA, and the CIA and whatever agencies possible. But this is January twenty-first, and there's a new name uh, atop the office
2: a very good point and like i said lots of ufc 257 coverage coming your way over the next several days heading in during after it'll continue on this show next week so we'll move on with that said there's no surprise here get the drum roll ready casey before i award steven the point for round four the point goes to Stephen morocco we are all tied up
0: and
2: that means it's the fifth and final round, or on this show, it is called the knockout round, where one question will decide it all. There will be no draws here, and we are bringing back a brand new segment that went over so, so well a couple of weeks ago, and we're going to bring it back because it's not only fun and interesting, it doesn't just create a bunch of options, but in a way, it almost completely weighed the championship advantage. So Jed Mishu, without having any possible idea of what the hell is going on, would you like to go first or pass this on to Stephen? I'm gonna pass it on. Of course, you are. Of
3: course, you are.
2: Okay, but it doesn't <laughs> matter, Stephen. I'm telling you, the championship advantage really means nothing here because you're getting different, it's you're going different routes. So, okay. we are gonna welcome you, ladies and gentlemen, to the second installment of What Am I Thinking here on Between the Links. So, Stephen and Jed. There are going to be four options here. You will choose a number between one and four, and each number will represent a fighter or somebody involved within the sport. And in your 60 seconds, you have to put yourself in this person's shoes and answer the question, what am I thinking? You can speak like yourself. Others have chosen to get into character. You do not have to do that. But either way, this is somebody who you would probably want to hear in some form or fashion. So, Stephen, with that said... Choose a number between one and four. That's a three. Okay. There's a three. Let me pull. It up. Okay. Stephen, you are going to be speaking on behalf of the former UFC interim lightweight champion, a man who will be watching Saturday night. Very, very closely. You are going to be speaking as Justin Gaethje, Justin Gaethje. So we're going to put 60 seconds on the clock. Justin Gaethje Morocco, what are you thinking on this Thursday evening? Your time starts right now.
3: Uh, yeah. So uh, I, I would I would I would kick the leg. This guy is not kicking the leg enough. Why isn't he kicking the leg enough? I would talk, like why he could have like thrown twelve leg kicks by now. Uh, I'm gonna put my head in front of his fists. Um, I'm going to put my head right in front of him. I'm going to block his fist with my head. uh, And then I'm just going to keep coming. Uh, And, um, you know, eventually he'll fall down. Like if Hooker were to like move forward and actually block more punches with his head, you know, he could throw punches of his own and make Chandler fall. Yeah, that's that's what I should do. That's what he should do. (laughs) Um, Also, if I beat this guy, pretty much... I'm going to get the title shot, right? I mean, the UFC probably spent like a half a million dollars on him. God, the guy. Why, why can't I make that much money? Wait, do I need to renegotiate my deal with Ali? Is that what I need to do? Anyways, this is a good fight. A lot of striking going on.
2: All right. I, I did not expect that at all. Uh, but Jed, of the remaining numbers, you have one, two, and four. And there's some interesting cats in here. All right? One, two, or four, make a selection.
4: Number three, my lord. It's a Shrek reference in Number case two. you can get it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I got you, man. Number two. So just just to open up the box here, the three remaining names are Tody Ferguson, Nate Diaz, and the man you ended up choosing, Jed. You will be speaking on behalf of of Chucky Olives, a.k.a. Charles Oliveira, another very interested party for Saturday night's event. Charles Oliveira, what are you thinking on this Thursday evening? Your time starts now.
4: I'm going to preface this by saying I'm not going to do an accent because it might just come off racist, so I'd really like (laughs) to not do that. Uh, I'm I'm Chucky Olives, and this is bullshit. I am clearly better than both of the men fighting in the main event And in the co-main event, I am probably the best non-Habib lightweight in the world right now, given my skill set. And these jabronis are about to get to fight for the title next. Like, man, I really hope Dana wasn't totally full of shit when he said that Habib was impressed by me, because that's my only chance to get a title shot here. Otherwise, I have to go fight Justin Gaethje, and that sucks. Nobody likes fighting (laughs) Justin Gaethje. It is hazardous to my health. Man, I really got this. I'm the dude. I just worked Tony Ferguson, and this is the sack of crap I'm holding. This sport is stupid. I should
2: go back to featherweight. Wow. <laughs> you, know, it's, you know what's funny, Jed? I closed my eyes, uh, and I thought you were Charles Oliveira. That's exactly what, what Oliveira would say, probably word for word. Yeah. I thinking of the exact thing. Interesting. Both two totally different takes on this question. And that's why I love this round so much. So now I can sit back and relax and see who's going to be the champion. So we turn it on over to the judge, the jury, the executive producer, Mr. E. Casey Lydon, who will render the final decision from the truck. Casey, you've heard 60 seconds from each of these gentlemen. You heard from Justin Gaethje. You heard from Charles Oliveira. Who wins?
0: Great show, gentlemen. Great show, first off.
3: Your winner.
0: Steven Morocco.
2: Oh, we got a new champion. We got a new champion. We got a new champion. Unreal.
3: This guy. This guy. (laughs) This guy. I got to tell you, I am uh, shocked. I actually, I would like a rematch. Uh, I'm one of those odd winners that will request a rematch after winning because I feel like I could have done a lot better. Namely, I just want more time to practice my Justin Gagey impression and learn Justin Gagey quotes and sayings, which I don't think are as common, uh, places as uh, Conor McGregor. But I appreciate it. Um, I was really
2: looking forward to kicking Jed's butt. Um, and here we are. So did I hear that correctly? uh, Your call-out is is a rematch for next week, perhaps? It is. I mean, you
3: you got a good record, Jed. Like, really, like, who has a better record than Jed overall? Does anybody?
4: No, I'm the king of this show.
3: (laughs) Right. So I think it's because he's a lawyer or he was trained as a lawyer and he argues with people all the time. Uh, And his general job at this website is to be a jerk. So I want to – it's like Tim Sylvia. You know, Tim Sylvia fighting um, Andre Orlovsky twice. You know, if you want to get him out of there permanently, you got to beat him twice.
4: Uh, I want to be clear. I'm not good at this show because I'm a lawyer. I'm good at this show because I'm an asshole. (laughs) The Venn diagram there is pretty close to a circle, but it's not directly. So (laughs) – Yeah. I'm always happy to come on and, you know, throw verbal hands with anybody. So I would, I'll happily and graciously accept the rematch with uh, our new champion.
2: Morocco Michou. 2. Unreal. Next week. Steven, I will give you the floor, man. You did write an incredible piece. I know we did an interview about it for a little over 20 minutes, uh, two weeks ago, a little, little under two weeks ago, but, uh, With the victory, you get 30 seconds to talk about whatever it is you want to talk about, good, bad, and different in the sport of MMA. So the floor is yours. Well, first of all, I do want to thank everybody
3: who actually read the story. Um, It was 11,000 words, not an easy feat. Um, So uh, very much appreciate all the attention that people have given it. And I would encourage people uh, in general to keep thinking about this stuff and to keep uh, looking at this issue. Uh, It is going to be a big one as we... A lot of these guys get older, um, and, uh, and 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 our aging stars uh, go into the sunset. I will say this in general: we shouldn't be deterred from watching, you know, slugfests like Holloway Cater. Uh, we should still enjoy them. Uh, my whole point in this uh, in this piece is not that the, the sport, as it is, shouldn't happen, but that we should make concessions and allocate resources for those who it happens to like the the long-term damage. That's what I want to take it out of the fighters hands, allocate resources,
2: and let's be a better sport. Essentially. Well said. Well said. Jed, anything you want to say before the rematch next week?
4: No, man. I, uh, I had my whole plan spiel, but we actually already covered it. I was just (laughs) going to talk about how Joe's does a featherweight goat. So
2: we Gucci. I'm excited for that thing. we Gucci. Like Michael Chandler's jacket at the press conference. That was that was some pretty pretty dope stuff. Uh, but that's it, ladies and gentlemen. This episode is is over. It was a jam-packed edition. We went a little long, but it's a big fight week. You know, we're gonna be talking forever anyway. So we will see you tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for the UFC 257 weigh-ins. I will be there. AK will be there. Casey will be there. And Jose will be there live from Abu Dhabi. Steven will not be there. And I don't believe Jed will be there either. But uh, Thank Love you very you much up, for Jed, up. Steven. Yeah, pop in. Pop in. Why not? Uh, big shout out to Casey live on the production. Estherlyn, the iconic voice, bringing us in. for are Steven and Jed. I am Mike Pack. Good night, everybody. Love you
1: guys. This has been Between the Links, and MMA fighting production on the Vox Media Network.
0: The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VoxMMA